Thanks for tuning in to The Way. This week we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. The Way is a term that was used for Christians in the first century of Christianity. When, when, when Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, he rose from the dead. That is the gospel message. It is good news for sinners all over the world because sinners can be forgiven only by looking to Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith, the only one who can save us and free us and forgive our sin and set us on a path of good, righteous living, right living and following after him. So after the, after the gospel was expressed, then, then the disciples, those who were later on as apostles, begin to follow Jesus in this new way of living. So when, when, when God sent his son Jesus, he sent him as the substitute of death for us. We deserve to die because of our sins, but Jesus took our place. He is the divine substitute for us on the cross, but, but he did something before he died on the cross, and that was before death, he lived a life. He lived a life. He lived 33 and a half years. And, and, and we get the majority of that in the last three and a half years. But, but Jesus lived absolutely spotless, pure, and perfect in all of his ways, all 33 and a half years of his earthly existence. But in these three and a half years that we find contained in the gospel record, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is literally leaving for us an example of how to live. And so those disciples, the 12 in particular, that we're going to talk and pick one each month. There were 12 disciples. There's 12 months. Coincidence? I think not. So we're going we're gonna to focus on one disciple throughout each month. And so these disciples listened to the words of Jesus, believed the words of Jesus, and decided, get this wild idea, to take up and follow the example of Jesus, which was so contrary to the way of living around them in that time. Now, just as it is now, there, there was then, there are a lot of different options in how any person can choose to live. And the options are way too vast for me to stand up here and try to attempt to list. But you know, you live in the same world that I live in. And you know that, that this, this world gives us a lot of options on how to act and how to live and what, you, what to choose to do and what to choose not to do. And so the same thing was in this day and age. But what was so strange was all the world, even though there were so many different options on how to live, all of them in all of the plethora of options were still going in the same direction. Just look different. It's like a five lane interstate all going in the same direction, but there's different kind of vehicles on the road. Except when Jesus came, all of a sudden, it's like a five-lane interstate with all types of vehicles going in the same direction, but one who's on the other end of the interstate and a different vehicle going in a different direction that is against the flow. So you can imagine the chaos that would create on an interstate. Jesus shows up. 
He shows up in Israel, the center, the hub of all religiosity in the world. And these, these religious leaders of the day, these elite in, in the seminaries, in the co Christian colleges, so to speak, they, they're the ones who are supposed to be looking for the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, Jesus to come. But they missed the mark because they were so wrapped up in the way they chose to live. They weren't concerned about a new way that was coming that could totally radicalize not just them, but the entire planet. And so Jesus shows up in the middle of all of this religiosity and it didn't fit their mold. And then there's, there's these other groups that are, that are kind of fringe and, and they just kind of want to know what's going on. And they may get a bite here and there of the miracles and the preaching and other things like that. And then there's a group that are just the out and out sinners. Some who reject Christ, many who receive Christ. These, these 12 in particular latch a hold of something and decide to follow the way of Jesus. And so if, if you've got a pen or, or want to write this down, I'll give you these notes later if you, if you want them. But, but the early Christians were known as people of the quote unquote way, the, the people of the way, because the way was different. The way was different from the religious leaders of that day. It was different from other religious groups, whether it be he, heathens or, or paganisms or, or whatever the, those foreign gods in, in Corinth or whatever it might be. It was totally different. And so in Acts chapter nine, verse two, Saul, who is converted and becomes Paul later in chapter 13, He's, he's converted in chapter 9. He, he's going to arrest those of the way. Chapter 19, verse 2 and verse 23 mentions Christians who were known as people of the way. Chapter 22, verse 4 and verse 20, or excuse me, chapter 24, verse 14 and, and verse 22. That's 22, verse 4 and chapter 24, verse 14 and 22. This denotes the way, the way. This is a, this is a new way. This is a new way. God's doing a new thing and God did a new thing. And it's still new today, even though it's 2000 years old, because it's a new way for a lot of people. I don't know about you, but, but I've been saved since I was 15 years old and still at 46 years old, I am learning new things about this new way that Jesus has offered me because he is the way, the truth and the life. And we choose as Christians to follow no other way. So they were, they were called the way because of this new direction of change in life. And, and now they're growing and going according to Acts chapter 19, verse 20. The word of God grew and was mighty because these people of this new way. And so over the next 12 months, as we look at these disciples, we are going to see how Jesus hand-selected these disciples, called them to walk with him on that way, and see their life journey. And I believe, that now, now there's, there, how many disciples are there? There's 12, right? Somebody real, y'all just start throwing names of disciples that you know, that you remember reading in the Bible. Any of them, it can be, one, two, three, name them. <laughs> Good job. We're gonna learn a lot this month. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. Y'all got several. Who said Judas? Anybody say Judas? Yeah, it's Judas, yeah. So, so this is, this, I'm going to say something, and I don't want to freak nobody out, but it, but it might freak some of you out, but you got to listen to the whole statement, okay? Don't, don't listen to just a piece of this, all right? I mean, you, you got to think. There, there's John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation. Man, God used him in mighty, amazing ways. There's Peter, the, the one in Acts chapter 2 that led this preaching of the Gospel, and thousands of people were saved. He wrote first and second Peter and, and, and then there's, there's James and, and, and then, then there's Bartholomew and, and, and there's Matthew, the tax collector. Man, Jesus even saves tax collectors. Woo! It's good stuff. And there's Judas. There's Judas. This is what I want you to understand. As we go through these 12 disciples, it is my desire for you to see that there's a little bit of every one of these disciples in you. There's a little bit of every one of these disciples in me. I said every one, 12. Right? It's all, it's 12 of them. Yeah, there's... There's Peter because there's a time where you get bold for Jesus and you don't care who knows or who hears. It doesn't matter. You on fire for Jesus today. You had high octane in that Bible study that morning. Your prayer time really went past the ceiling that day and you're ready to conquer hell with a water pistol. You're Peter that day. And then some days you Thomas. And you wondering where God is and is he ever going to show up? And did he really do what he said he was going to do? And you need to see the proof of it to believe it. Right? Some days you John and, and you just all in love with Jesus. And, and you love Jesus so much, you love everybody around you, even the ones you didn't like. And so you got some John in you and John's a love. And, 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 and then there's some days you got Judas in you. And you love Jesus one day, but you're betraying Jesus the next day. And we got a little bit of the disciples in all of us. So, man, I think it's real important for us to take a little time and look at this way we're called to and know that just because we're on the way, we're not perfect. Just because we're on the way doesn't give us an excuse not to grow. But just as well as God was working a work in all of these disciples, he's working a work in all of these disciples. It's good. So, so the way we're going to do this as we study through these things, we, don't, I don't want anybody to, to, to get upset. We're still going to eat the first Wednesday of every month except January. That's the night. We're taking a little break. Got some folks who are sick. Just want to make sure everything's healed up first and. And hopefully February, hopefully, we'll have that chili cook-off where I will win and reign victoriously over all of you. That's my, that's my plan. Without cheating. Without cheating. But, but we're going we're gonna to do something else, too. The fourth Wednesday of every month, the last Wednesday of every month, Maybe the fourth, maybe the fifth. It just depends on how it falls. 
we're going to take another meal together. It's called the Lord's Supper. It's communion. Yeah, I feel I feel so I star for it because I felt like through 2020 we weren't able to do it a whole lot. And last year we didn't do it just a whole lot. But every month I need you to be prepared for that because this is a serious meal that requires an awful lot. Okay. Not requires an awful lot of what you can give, but an awful lot of where you need to know where you should be. And so we'll talk about that in the last Wednesday night of the month and how to prepare for that. But, but I do want to just throw this out there for anybody who's really out there seeking, okay? I want to encourage you to fast the last Wednesday of every month this year. It's, okay, Andy, what, what, is, what is fasting? There's so many Bible verses exploding in my mind. But, but if we're just to go to Isaiah chapter 58, read that chapter and, and see how Isaiah describes fasting for us. It, it is to abstain from your necessities of food or drink for a period of time. And, and so maybe it's, that's just one meal for you. Maybe it's the whole day for you. Maybe it's two meals for you. Maybe it's a certain thing for you, which always promote food and drink, but maybe it's a certain thing for you. I'm not judging you on that. I'm not, not going to condemn anybody for what they fast from. But there it is. I know, I know some are health reasons can't fast from certain foods. It's up to you. Abstain from something to remind you of your need for Christ. And take that time and seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And so tonight we're going to kick this thing off the way by looking at one of the one of the disciples, one of the first ones really in the opening chapters of of some of the Gospels. And, and that that guy's Andrew, Andrew. And tonight we're going to see Andrew as the seeker. Now, as we continue to study, we're going to see Andrew with a lot of different characteristics. There's a lot of things in Andrew's life that we'll see revealed in this month of study about Andrew. But I want to start off on the right foot, in the right direction, seeing Andrew as the one who is seeking after Jesus. So if you got your Bibles, flip over to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. The New Testament begins with Matthew. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you go to Acts, you've gone too far. If you go to Revelations, you've gone really too far. If you've gone to maps, ask somebody beside you for help. So we see Andrew, who is the follower. We see Andrew, who is the seeker. Andrew was an eager, open-minded, truth-seeker from Bethsaida of Galilee. He was the brother of Simon Peter, who both had the father, Jonah. Andrew was a young man. He was close to his 20s, somewhere in his 20s, or maybe just a little bit younger than that. He was a fisherman by trade. And according to Mark chapter 13, he was a, he was a student of prophecy. And so we're going to see here in John chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 35. It's on the screen there. And we're going to read a few of these verses. Now, in my Bible, it denotes the new paragraph in verse 35. And it says, again, the next day after John. Now, this is not John the disciple. This is John the Baptist. Unique character, kind of a crazy guy. Uh, it, it, it was the kind of guy that you would want to show up and, and watch for a little while, but you couldn't hang him around, hang around him for very long. 
right? He's, he's that guy that, that, that when, you, when you needed a laugh, you got around him. When, when, when you needed something crazy to happen, you got around him. John, John the Baptist was that guy. I mean, he's, he's out there preaching a message. Hardly anybody could stand. And, and he was doing things that, that the world saw was kind of crazy. And the next day after John stood and two of his disciples. Now, John the cousin of Jesus, the, the son of Zacharias and, and Elizabeth. This is the guy in Luke chapter one whose dad was praying, offering incense before the Lord in the temple. His mom couldn't have any children. They were a little bit older in age. They kind of thought time had gone. But Zacharias, he's praying and asking God and God shows up by the word of an angel and says, you're going to have a son. And he says, come on, man, are you for real? You just yank him a chain. You're playing with me. And, and he, he went mute for a while until John was born and John was born. John was, was the cousin of Jesus. Elizabeth and Mary were cousins and Mary came to visit Elizabeth, not knowing that Elizabeth was pregnant and Elizabeth not knowing Mary was pregnant. And when they showed up, there was this explosion of praise to the Lord because of what God has done in ministering to an elder or an older lady to be pregnant and a virgin to be pregnant. Amazing things were happening. And so even the babe in Elizabeth's womb, when Mary came in and said, hey, Elizabeth, what's going on? By the way, that's the Scott County translation. Hey, what's going on? And John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth leapt, was moved at that encounter. Now, it's, it's understood that John and Jesus never had an encounter at least not recorded in the scripture and believed not to, to be so for the purpose and sake of John being able to recognize Jesus to whom I'm fixing to say he is written in the scripture, but that they didn't, they didn't hang out as cousins. How many of you guys got some close cousins that you just treated like brothers and sisters? Yeah. How many of you guys got some cousins that you may have seen twice at a family reunion or funeral or something? Yeah, it was more like that. So these two guys really didn't get around each other very much, but but, but like Jesus had disciples, John the Baptist, he had disciples. And, and, and Andrew was actually one of those two disciples. And, and he says in verse 36, and looking upon Jesus, as he walked, John's watching Jesus, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, this is actually two times John says that in this chapter. If you go back up to verse 29, which will not be on the screen, but it says the next day, John seeing Jesus coming to him, saying to him, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. As I read this and as I look at this in the original language, it's almost like John the Baptist is saying this out of compulsion. I don't know if you've ever been in a church service and something's gone on and you say amen before you realize you said amen. Let me say it this way. Maybe you girls have been together over a lunch and everybody was talking and all of a sudden you said something you didn't know or shouldn't have said. It just kind of came out. Anybody have those put back in words? Yeah. Yeah, you can't get them back in, right? It's like, a, like toothpaste out of the tube. John the Baptist had, in my opinion, two of these things where he sees Jesus and in a spirit compulsion he says, behold, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. He says it again the next day in verse 37. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and saw them following. And this is the, this is the crazy encounter, right? And he says unto them, what seek ye? What, what are you guys looking for? What are y'all seeking? 
And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to be interpreted master or teacher, where dwellest thou? And he said unto them, come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day for it was about the the tenth hour. This, this, you just got to get this picture in your mind. Here's John. He's at the River Jordan and he's preaching a, a message of turning away from your sin. There is one who is coming who is so amazing I can't untie his shoes. He's going to come and he's going to pay the sin debt for all of us. I'm baptizing you for, for repentance unto, unto good works, but he's coming and he's going to baptize you with the spirit and fire. He says, you need to be looking for this guy. I'm here just telling everybody that he's coming. And then he shows up. So all this fanatical things that are happening is culminated when John says, behold the lamb. The next day, John says, behold the lamb. And now it's the cue. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, the stage light comes on. The spotlight is center stage. And it's Jesus. And so the appetites who were wet with hunger after they hear, realize, and so they seek. Let me ask you guys this question. What are you really looking for in life? What are you really, what are you really looking for in life? Just about everybody in here probably can give the typical, I'm in front of the preacher or Christians that I go to church with kind of answer, right? Do this. Who, who works beside you? Ask them to be honest with you and say, what do you think I'm seeking in life? Who, 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 is, who is under the same roof you lay your head on? on the pillow at night with, and you, you ask them, what do you think I'm seeking after? Those that you hobby around with, Look into the schedule of your life and see where you're spending your time and your resources and your thought life. What consumes you? You've allowed yourself to be consumed by it. It's probably what you seek after. What are you seeking? What do you really want? Here, Andrew, he's, he's dedicated. He's looking. He's kind of caught in this. You, you, guys, look at me. You've really got to appreciate these disciples for the simple fact that they are in the balance. They are between an old covenant and a new covenant. Now, they're still under the umbrella of the old covenant until the new covenant comes, and that comes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus they're kind of caught here. So they're seeking. They know what the old covenant does. It burdens you. Right? It, it smothers you. It doesn't provide life. It takes life. It's rule keeping. It's box checking. It's, it's duty obligations. And it's so overwhelming that just when you think you've done something right, you slip up and you realize you've done one thing right and ten things wrong. And so Andrew and this other disciple, that's where they live. 
And then this guy starts preaching this crazy message and everybody is aware of what's happening. I mean, he's, his face is on the newspaper every day. There's social media buzz like crazy. And now they hear him say, and then they see Jesus. And then all of a sudden, you, 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 ever, you, ever, you ever had a desire for something so strongly to where when you, when you thought there was an answer for it, your hopes got kind of so built up and then you realize that wasn't the answer for what your heart desired and it was gone. You know how that felt? I can imagine that Andrew and this other disciple probably had experienced similar things like that. And here they are again. And Jesus shows up. And this guy's telling us he's the lamb of God who has come to take away my burden, my sin. And they are seeking and they're not like some are who when Jesus does some miracle or preaches some message, they dive head in in the pool. How many of you guys are the guys who when you show up to go swimming, you just jump straight in? The jump straight inners, raise your hand. There's two or four, maybe six of y'all. Okay, the rest of y'all are, I guess, dip your toe in kind of person, right? See how cold it is. See if I can see the bottom. Don't nobody push me. I'll get myself wet. Right? That's me. <laughs> so Andrew's, the, Andrew's dipping his toe in right here. And so, so how does he do that? Well, well he's, he's, he's starting to follow Jesus. He's, okay, this is him. Let's just kind of see where he's going and what he's doing and what he's going to say. Sure, he's going to do something amazing any minute. He's the Lamb of God, right? And so this begins the journey of their seeking. And so in this, in this passage here, I notice four things that Andrew could teach us about the way as a seeker. See, to be a seeker, the first thing I need to understand for me, the first thing you need to understand for you is to be a seeker. You've got to realize that you thought you were the one seeking, but the whole time it was actually him seeking you. You were seeking only because you were sought after. <laughs> Nobody got that, obviously. <laughs> you see, there's a little verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 that says, We love him because he first loved us. You didn't abandon nothing to get to Jesus. Jesus abandoned all the glories of heaven to get to you. He is the shepherd who brought 99 in the sheepfold, secured in the cave, and he goes after your little wandering tail. Huh? Just like he did mine. A, a sheep that's is wandering ain't looking for the shepherd because they're wandering. The, the only thing they're finding is wolves and bears and lions. Oh, my. They're finding holes and snares and all of these cliffs and all of this danger. That's what you were doing. That's what I was doing. And then Jesus came seeking us. 
You know, I, 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 it doesn't, that doesn't bother me, but I got some friends that this bothers whenever somebody says, well, I found Jesus. They, they in their mind, have the same thought I do. They're a little bit more vocal about it. You didn't find Jesus. Jesus found you. But th this, is, this is how it worked, right? This, you were the sheep, you were astray, you were wandering, you were doing your own thing, and the shepherd secures the 99, and he is calling out your name. Hey, look this way. And then when you hear, then you start looking. That's when you start looking. Not when you woke up in your mess and said, I've had enough of this junk. But when God took the blinders off of your eyes and showed you what you're in is junk. And he says, hmm. Right? I mean, I mean I'm preaching to you the, the Bible. John chapter 6, verse 44. No man comes to the Father except he is drawn by the Father. It's just the way it works. But I'm so thankful that the Father is a shepherd who is seeking after the, uh, the, the one who is lost going after the sheep who has wandered. See, Jesus is seeking after you. And he has sought after you, and now you can seek him. You see, Andrew, he, he, he's doing that, right? Why is Andrew who Andrew is? Why is Andrew a follower of John the Baptist? Why was Andrew at a very young age, around 20 years old, lesser or a little bit more than that? Why was he a student of prophecy according to Mark chapter 13? Why was he doing the things that he was? Why was he with Peter and, 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 and they were fishing? And when Jesus walked along the shoreside, said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And dropped everything because God had been priming the pump. God had been doing behind the scenes a work for the sake of Andrew, just like he did you. <laughs> Why was that person where they were with the word they had? When you were in your mess doing your own thing and when they said what they said, it was weird to the point to where it was almost like they were reading your mail. They knew something about you that you didn't realize they knew and all of a sudden you're caught in this uncomfortable situation and it might have been just for a blip through a quick second of your life, but it's haunted you the rest of your life, right? I, I don't know. I may just be talking about me, but I remember in my life several times to where those moments happened and it became a message from God to me, for me, to seek after him. And so I realized I was the one who was being sought after. So it instigates my desire to seek after him. So, so Andrew was a, a guy who was sought after. You are people who were sought after, but also he was a guy who had a strong desire then I want you to understand, having a strong desire is a little bit different than being passionate. I know people who are very lively and animated and, and, and they, they have a whole lot of vigor of life and vitality in life, right? And, and so they, they, they express everything on their face and there it is and you see it, right? And so they're passionate people, but not just passionate people have strong desires. As a matter of fact, Every human being on this planet has a strong desire. You say, well, Andy, what about people who get discouraged and depressed? They, 
have a strong desire, and that's the reason they're discouraged and depressed. Because <laughs> their strong desire has gone unmet over some situation, therefore it's led them to the negative side of a loss of hope instead of the positive side of hope. Strong desire. All of us have this strong desire. It's easy to check. Nobody is exempt from that. So Andrew had a strong desire. He had a desire to get out from under this burden that he had. He had a strong desire to find the promise of God who is the Messiah, Jesus. He might have been a little bit messed up in his perspective. He might have thought like several Jews did in that day that Jesus is going to come with a physical sword. He's going to reign on a physical throne. He's going to kick the, the boot of Rome off of the neck of Israel. He's going to set everything right physically. And if he believed that, then he just went along with a good bit of Israel in that day about what the Messiah would do. But he had desire because desire woke him up that morning. Desire was helping perk his ears to the news that was out there that John was baptizing and to follow John and, and to find out what's next. And, and, and so what this desire, this, this hunger. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 11 verse 23 says, the desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. Everybody has desire. Desire is not a bad thing. But the direction of your desire can either be victory or disaster. Andrew, he's using his desire, the strong desire to seek after one who is seeking after him. And this is a pursuit in his life and he is longing for this and he's not willing to let up or give up, but he's waiting on the word. And, and so what some of us need to understand as we're living in this way and all of us have a little bit of Andrew in us as far as having a strong desire, we need to allow this desire inside of us to drive us with a greater hunger to seek after Jesus even when things don't go our way. Even when things do get difficult. So, so Andrew was one who was sought after. We're one who sought after. Andrew had a strong desire. We have a strong desire. Andrew had a settled direction. Now, fact of the matter is not all of us have a subtle direction. Some of us are still looking for direction. <laughs> Some of us, if, if, if our life were a compass, it would be the compass that Jack Sparrow held in his hand when he was trying to figure out what his heart wanted in Pirates of the Caribbean. I see some of you have watched the movie and some of you haven't. So he's got a compass, right? And this compass is not a normal compass that just always points north, south, east, west. This is a compass that when it's in the hand of an individual, it points them to what their heart's desire is. One time in the movie, I'm not advocating necessarily the movie, but one time in, in the movie, he has the compass and his heart's just kind of, he wants this and he wants that and he wants this and he wants that. And the compass, some of us, if we look like this, the compass is just spinning in a circle. We got strong desire, but we don't know what direction it's going in. Don't have much of a settled direction. 
You want me to tell you real quick what settles your direction? It's something called conviction. Not conviction as the Holy Spirit brings over us when we sin that we've done wrong. He's unsettling us and trying to make us right through confession and repentance. But conviction as far as this is, is a convicting thing to me. I, it's concrete in our boots. It's something that keeps us settled and not, not moving from that point. It's a truth that we know and are confident of and are not willing that anything or anyone should ever talk us out of it. It doesn't matter if a person comes in with something contradicting to that truth. It doesn't matter if we're living life and something happens that tries to change our mind about that truth, circumstance, or situation. Sandy, how do, I, how do I get this conviction that'll help settle my direction? The only way that you can get that conviction is when you get into the Bible and you begin to read and apply the Bible. <laughs> it's crazy. You read it. You believe it. You obey it. It produces fruit. It begins to change you. <laughs> and this, this book that begins to, to change you, all of a sudden now is, is, is forming conviction. And where in the past you might have known what was right or wrong and what to do and not to do, but you didn't really think much. There wasn't a whole lot of investment in, in, in what that said, but what you wanted had the majority say so. And so you just did what you wanted to do. Therefore, your, your compass is spinning like crazy. But when you, when you get in that word and that word gets inside of you and it begins to form and make you and all of a sudden now you've got character. <laughs> and that character is developing hope and all of these good spiritual things are happening inside of you. Then you know when that, when that fork in the road, who knows who Yogi Bear is? Yogi Bear, not Yogi Bear. How many of y'all thought I said Yogi Bear? Yeah, yeah, there you go. The catcher for the Yankees, go Yanks. Yogi Berra, right? Maybe where the Yogi Berra come from, I don't know. But, but Yogi Berra, he was a catcher for the Yanks. He was famous for saying crazy things. He said this, if you don't go to your friend, friend, friend's funerals, they won't come to yours. Think about that for a minute. Showed up at a pizza place and, and uh, the lady, he said, what size pizza do you want? He said, give me a medium pizza. And he said, you want to cut it in, in uh, six slices or eight? And he said, cut it in six, I can't eat eight. <laughs> It's a medium pizza, y'all. Size wasn't changing. Yogi Bear is this brilliant guy that said, when you come to the fork in, in the road, take it. Let that settle in. <laughs> you come to the fork in the road, take it. When you come to the fork in, in the road of life, if you have conviction, you won't be stalemated there trying to figure out which way to go. You'll know which way to go. You have a subtle direction. Andrew, Andrew was a guy who had a subtle direction. He's following John. John says, here's Jesus. They, the, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And, and this is the crazy thing that happens with, with all of this. Jesus turns and he sees them follow him. He says, what are you seeking after? What are you seeking after? Now, am I the only one who reads this passage and thinks to myself, come on, guys. I mean, you, you guys sound like a seventh grader trying to ask a classmate to the dance. You know what I'm saying? 
Well, we just, we, we just, where you live. <laughs> it's kind of the way it comes across to me when I read it. Where you staying at, Jesus? But Jesus is so kind and polite and willing to work with us. Jesus says, just come and see. What? Where? Come. That's the process there. What? Where? Come. You guys may be thinking, I don't know where. You don't have a subtle direction. Follow Jesus. Ask him where he stays. And then you just go there with him. Because he's all the time saying, come on. Come and see. Come and see. And so a subtle direction. But, but then also Andrew, the fourth thing that I learned about Andrew is Andrew's got a He's got a settled heart on this, man. He's, he's convicted. I mean, he's got this strong desire. I mean, he's, he's seeking after the Lord and, and all this good. But, but he has a set heart. I mean, it's... How many of you guys get paid and you go to work and they give you a check and, and you do your job and you get paid? How many of you guys get paid, right? Just about everybody in here has got a job. Okay. Hopefully everybody in here has got a job. You don't have a job. We, we can help you find a job need to get paid, right? Southern pine don't work on I love yous. Okay. <laughs> right? So, so this is, this is his heart, right? His daddy has a business. Okay. It's a fishing business, right? And so this fishing business is all he grew up in. He has seen his dad in the night fishing to be able to provide for his family. He has seen his dad agonizing the heat, mending nets so that he can fish. It's his business. It's what he does. It's his livelihood. And so Andrew and Simon, they do what most all children did in that day. They didn't graduate, go to college, get a degree, move away from town, do their own thing. They just did what dad did. And so they're expected to mend the nets when it's hot and fish at night when they can fish and catch fish and provide for their family. And yet Jesus shows up. And, and guys, when Jesus shows up, things change. <laughs> and things change. So Jesus shows up and he says, hey guys, I, I, I'm going to say it like I feel like it was understood in their hearts. Jesus says, hey guys, I know that you're invested in your father's business. I know that you have been serving your father faithfully. You have obeyed that, your parents. I know that it was your, your, your thoughts, maybe even your aspirations to take up the business, maybe to even make it bigger and better and maybe to provide in a greater sense to, to your family. I, I know you're dedicated, but I'm asking you to leave your dad alone. Leave the business Stop fishing. I know it's all you've ever known. I know that that's familiar and what I'm calling you to is unfamiliar. I know that you have trust in that. And it's hard to trust me because you just met me. But I'm asking you to give all of that up and come follow me. And I'm going to transition the way you think and just the way you were throwing out bait and nets to catch fish. I'm going to 
help you throw out bait and nets to catch men. And you know what they did? They said to Jesus, Jesus, this is a, how much is, it, how much is it going to pay? Where is the location of our business? <laughs> you know, how, what, what's, what's going to be the daily expectations? Where's the job description, Jesus? <laughs> no. You know what they did? Because he had a heart that was set that whenever he knew that Jesus the Messiah was come, he was ready to go. Why? Because he was seeking after Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was seeking after him. And so what does he do? This heart that is set simply does that. He fixes it on Jesus and he follows Jesus. Psalm chapter 57 verse 7. My heart is fixed, O oh God. My heart is fixed. I'll sing and give praise. Fixed. What is, what is, what does fixed mean? It means without distraction, complete surrender and focus on. It's fixed. It's, it's fixed. I know some people that I occasionally give a phone call to, and when I talk to them, they're watching television, and I talk to them, and I try to get their attention. I'm like, hey, hey. You still listening to me? And they so fixed on the television, they forgot they were on the phone with me, right? What if we were so fixed on Jesus that when the devil called us up, when temptation come calling us up, we wouldn't even give it a hint of an ear.